Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation. All the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of Cha Dao. This will be the focus of this podcast, developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. Also, you're welcome to come to our center, Tea Sage Hut, here in Miali, Taiwan, and sit a 10-day course where we incorporate all these aspects from the linear to the brewing tea to the spiritual cultivation all together, and you can take a deep dive and immerse yourself and ground yourself in this beautiful practice. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together. Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. I'm Morgan. And I'm Janos. We're glad to welcome back to the podcast our dear tea brother, Sam Gibb from New Zealand. In the 16th episode, we talked to Sam about challenges and life lessons, but Sam also has a creative side. During his uh, three-year service period at the Tea Hut, he became the honorary Tenzo and uh, helped create the diet plan and philosophy of the hut. And he has also been the author of some of the most beautiful chashis I have seen here at the hut. So in this episode, we're going to discuss these um, creative outlets. Welcome back to the podcast, Sam Gibb. Yeah, it's great to be here and uh, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Great. So let's jump into it. So first, let's actually clarify what chashi means. For me, that's a bit of a hard clarification, especially if you're looking for something very concise. I mean, I think the direct translation is tea stage. Mm-hmm. So it's it's where it's it's the stage in which we perform, but it can just expand so wide. You know, you can, you can take a chashi to be everything from the the place in which the person walks into your tea room or your tea space to what clothes you're wearing to the sounds to what's physically on the table to the teaware to the tea like all of this to me is kind of encompassing chashi and when you get them all in line and uh just right it creates something really really magical i think Mm -hmm, exactly um sometimes people forget that chashi extends further out than just the tea table, just the immediate space that we use to, to make uh, make tea in. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that, you know, also the clothes and and uh, the physical space where the people are. And I've even heard that, um, you know, Chashi can start with like the invitation. Maybe you're going to use a formal invitation to ask somebody for tea and that card that you send out can al- already be the beginning of the chashi and be tied into that theme right yeah i mean that's going pretty deep um <laughs> yeah. you know like for me it's also uh and this is this is maybe just even different again like a, there's also an internal element to chashi i think you know like everything that's happening external uh 
from all of these these things are are what we're trying to bring and create at the tea space and so also I think like a cultivation of those those things internally as well because we have to you know so many times the lesson comes back as the, the brewer is the most important influencer of the tea session hmm. and that's that comes back to a space that you hold in yourself and an intention that you're holding for a ceremony mm-hmm. and so then everything becomes an expression of that you know to make a nice uh like chashi you have to be in the right space internally and you can feel it for me it's it's such a great mirror of where i'm at in that moment mm-hmm. um when i'm when i'm sitting to try and create a space for someone to walk into because so it's so obvious when you're not connected and it, it just pieces don't feel like they're they're going where they're supposed to be going hmm. so yeah i think uh, there's there's so many levels to chashi mm-hmm. and it's one of those practices that just you keep digging and discovering new layers of of beauty and insight yeah uh why do you think it's important why is chashi important in in tea in a lot of ways you know and in in some respects i could see i could see the argument that it's not mm. you know that it's not important it doesn't matter why does the the table and the or the space matter you know and you, can you find connection to the plant beyond all of these externals um i could i could i could see and even connect into that argument i mean like some of the most profound tea sessions i have have been in very simple places um, when Wooda, when I first brought Wooda to New Zealand, we did a series of events in Auckland um, at a monastery there. And the monk there had lived with Ajahn Chan for many years. He was in the Thai forest tradition. Very, very deep dude. And he had this little meditative hut, a meditation hut, sorry. And uh, it was, he had basically taken this land in New Zealand. Um, and it was this whole, the whole area was farmland. So super just a lot of pain in the land and over 10 years he had replanted the whole land in natives and so it was this beautiful new zealand bush like native bush in new zealand's my favorite bush on earth and obviously i'm i'm biased but uh no matter where i go I'm, I, that's the the stick in which i measure uh all bush by bush i mean forest i think that's a, <laughs> that's uh that's a, a kiwiism um but so I love the New Zealand bush, and he had this hut, uh, and you know, one side of the hut was just basically it was at the bottom of the, this valley, deep like manuka and kanuka and uh, forest, and just the whole side of his hut was like this glass window, and he had a tea set up in there. It was really bizarre, like because you are, I don't think you really think of like. But I guess that's why he'd let us come is because he loved tea. <laughs> but he had this setup and it was really ghetto. <laughs> you know, like all these like, I don't know where he'd got them, like mismatched cups and had this weird little pot. And he like brewed like the, uh, like boiled the water in like this metal, like I guess just really cheap uh, kettle. But that was one of the most transcendental tea sessions I've ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, no music, no even thought of Chashi other than his the internal space that he held. 
and that he held everywhere. There was no, there was no discontinuum between the mind that he was carrying and everyday life and and tea. So essentially, his energy was the chashi. Yeah, just his his presence and his ability just just to be. And obviously there was also a stunning backdrop of like deep New Zealand bush. But um, but even that aside, I think that experience would have been there regardless of that. And that's, again, back to the point of like, does a chashi really matter? Well, on some level you could say maybe it doesn't, you know. And then on the other level, you know, if we're approaching tea as a Tao, it's it's – it's the understanding that or the fact that even though it doesn't matter, we do it anyway and that we don't sort of confine our tea practice to the actual just pouring of tea. So then how do we prepare? How do we prepare for guests? How do we uh, connect with uh, the four virtues of tea? You know, if we're looking to create harmony between guest and host, between ourselves and nature or just within ourselves, if we want to create reverence, respect, you know, mm-hmm. how do we show someone that we respect them? How do we show tea that we respect it? Mm-hmm. Purity, you know, cleaning spaces and cleaning ourselves. And last one, tranquility, that it's kind of like a different kettle of fish. But, you know, those first three, definitely, I think that all comes into Chashi and why Chashi is important. I think it's a way in which we can practice those three virtues of tea. For me, on a personal level as well, I just I love the the creation of beauty. Mm-hmm. I think beyond any purpose around that, I think there's something. For me, it's a, a creative outlet in which I find myself connected to something which I don't connect to in other elements of my life. Or it's sort of I think that creative element when we find outlets for it is is very meaningful in a human life. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, tranquility. I think a good chashi also can return you to stillness. Like you walk by a good chashi and, and, and the measure of it is, you know, it's good because it, it makes you feel still and, and it makes, makes you feel that you want to sit down and drink tea, right? Yeah, and I think that's a, um, that's a good ex- explanation. I think the hard thing about tranquility is it's, uh, it's the one you don't have so much control over. You could have the first three in perfect state, you know, like in maybe not perfect state, I think, but, you know, like really be focusing on those. But the tranquility one is almost something that arises beyond you. It's like Mm. those tea sessions you have where like everything just feels as it is. Mm -hmm. And you can drink the same tea every day. And sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't. Yeah. It's not about the tea and it's it's about almost and this is the hard thing when you mentioned like you want to do a podcast on this topic because there's an element to chashi I think and to tea in general that can't be talked about mm. that like and tranquility is that element I would say like I I don't know how to talk about it I know when I'm on when I've like made a chashi that's really nice or when you're do, doing a tea session you're like ah oh, like it's arising but it's not to do with me you know like living at the heart and having uh, someone sort of critically look at your chashis and your flower arrangements, that gives you an idea of what it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you still have to work out what it is on your own. Um, 
And that was the interesting thing about being here. You'd make a chashi and Wu comes in and takes something off or, you know, like tells you to redo it. And over time, you slowly start to get a feel more than anything else for why something's not right. So now I can often tell you if a chashi's in that space or within, you know, mm-hmm. or not. But sometimes I couldn't even tell you what, what was wrong with it. Mm-hmm. It's more a feeling, I would say. The tranquility element. So, yeah. yeah, I think you're right, but it's not something you can. It's harder. It's the harder one to to grasp and practice. Yeah, it's more of feeling rather than, like a set of rules, or you can't really have a manual for that, right? Yeah, and I think that's just time and experience. And then obviously, if you are lucky enough to have a teacher and someone who kind of guides you, um, generally through sort of smacks, uh, <laughs> then. Yeah, I think that that helps a lot as well. Um, You were talking about feeling really drawn to beauty and your chashis typically tend to be so aesthetically pleasing. Mm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the past influences you've had maybe growing up or what you were drawn to as creative outlets like that sort of brought you to this um, experience of creating beautiful chashis. <laughs> mm. I think it's a hard that that's that's a hard question for me to answer, you know. I would say in a lot of ways I I didn't feel growing up that I had huge amounts of creative outlets. Um and there was part of me that always felt like that was something missing in my life and I think that's one of the things that tea really brings into my life that I I've I've never really found in, say, other art forms, I don't think. Um, I think aesthetically I've always had an eye for beauty and sort of um, an element of me that's really drawn to beautiful things, and um, but n- not so much in terms of, like, being a musician, say, or, like, a creative writer or anything like that. I wouldn't I, – I would say that I never really found – an avenue to express it growing up and that's that's one of the greatest gifts i would say is that tea has given me in a lot of ways um i remember when i first got to the hut fighting woo on the topic of tea's art for a long time because i was sort of coming out of very strong theravadan buddhism Mm -hmm. sort of tradition and i was like no like just practice practice arts like lower i guess in a lot of ways um and that we just have to you know like approach this as practice with like rigor and strength and that's the and he was sort of very adamant on the art element of it and i think that's something that i've grown to appreciate over time Hmm. yeah i remember you mentioning to me that you had an ambition to be a a interior designer (laughs) (laughs) did you ever get to tap into that and does that help you um create you know more aesthetically pleasing spaces so to say so to speak i would say like i mean you know like to even to retouch i would still say like the the main outlet for me has been space creation sort of growing up even like uh from a young age i was allowed to like choose decorations in my room like from blinds to things like that um even at university, I think I was saying in the last one, I had a tea space in my room in university and living in aesthetically pleasing places has always been just something I naturally did. It's mm. not 
And I think that was the the offhanded comment that if, <laughs> if I could go back, I wouldn't have mind being an interior designer. And I wouldn't like I did. I think like that creation of space is something that I really enjoy and am drawn to, and sort of just naturally do. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. So how do you uh, approach making a chashi? Can you talk us through about like what do you think about? What are some of the the first things you uh, take into account? You know, it's funny. Like, it's such a hard question. I just um, spent three months living with um, a couple of tea people who had sort of asked me to come along to their place to help their tea practice. And uh, you know, Chashi was one of the the first things they really wanted to learn from me. And uh, but it's not something that I can just give steps and this is sort of what I was saying to them and part of it is just being around people creating chashi and and seeing it um and one thing that I, I did with them that was really useful is is walking around your environment I would say like the fundamental first thing that you need to do in my opinion and the thing that I feel like when I first get to a place if I've never been there my chashis aren't don't tap into that tranquility after i've been in a space you know been walking around you see more and more and you get inspiration from your environment that's you know grass growing through the the concrete you'll see little things that you you don't normally see small flowers things like that and i think like connection to your environment for me is one of the the biggest inspirations and influences over my chashis and drawing from that as a source of information as opposed to what we generally think, which is like I have to like sit down and think of something. Every time I try and sit down and think of something, it's generally, it's a mind-made chashi, and you sense it. You sense it when you see it. And that's not something you can describe to someone, like in terms of like what a mind-made chashi looks like. You know, maybe you could say it feels contrived or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there there's definitely an element, I would say, like of being able to still yourself. Because there's both, you could say there were the describable elements of a chashi and the indescribable. Mm -hmm. And the indescribable is far more important. But we could talk <laughs> about the describable. You know, right. that's things like what tea am I going to brew? Who are my guests? What time of the day is it? What's the weather like? Mm -hmm. You know, all of these like practical elements. What sort of theme do I want to bring in? What do the, my guests need? Um, is this going to be a casual? You know, like what sort of tea am I brewing? You know, wh what's my intention for the brewing tea? All of these are things you could kind of list out. Yeah. Like a checklist. But very rarely, if ever, have I done that and then made a beautiful chashi i think it still is important to consider those things and when you're beginning that's the only thing we can do right mm -hmm. uh, when we're beginning we have to start with the basics um, and it's also why i'm hesitant to teach it because i'm still very much learning and touching i would say just starting to touch in on this deeper element and so then when i look back at the other part i'm like i'm trying to focus more on this this other thing that I can't quite describe and, and nowhere near a point that I could teach and I don't even think necessarily is teachable through words. Mm -hmm. um, and that's part of me that's kind of hesitant to to talk too much about it because I don't fully embody it. Uh, but, you know, like all that to say, there's this this internal part and then there's 
this indescribable part, which does come, I think, from stillness and connection, you know, ultimately. Um, and I would also say, like, compassionate sort of love. Those are, like, the three elements I really feel like a good chashi brings. You know, you want your guests to to feel that they're loved and considered in your chashi and you want it to come from stillness and from connection to your environment and yourself. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think those are all important uh, things to consider, but not really things that we can talk about. You know, I would, my advice and for beginners is always keep it simple. Mm. You know, um, if you want like a practice, it's, it's just working with as minimal elements as you can. Like uh, when I was staying there, I got those people to just work with two elements. So they were allowed a runner and one other thing. Mm -hmm. uh, because every time, like, you know, like I, you look, I used to do the social media here. So you see a lot of chashis. Um, and I would say 99.99% uh, is too much. Mm -hmm. too much and too much of the person mm -hmm. you know like the thing with tea as a practice and we talked about this in the last last one as well when we were talking about service and that's about letting go of yourself and that you bow at the start you actually need to bow before the start mm -hmm. you know we have to excuse ourselves from the tea ceremony before the tea ceremony starts and that comes with the creation of the space and it's not about you and it's not about you know like most of the time, there was like uh, um, there can be situations where you use something personal on a on a chashi, but generally, I would say no. You know, like your favorite crystal or feather or something like that. All of that is 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 us putting ourselves in it, or you know, something that our teacher gave to us, or things like that. Like it's just it's bringing us into it. Mm -hmm. um, a chashi always needs to be centered on the tea. Mm -hmm. She's the most important thing. She's the reason we're here. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that, that's, that's the question you need to ask. Is this leading people towards the tea or not? And there's very rarely a, a neutral answer there. Mm -hmm. If the answer is I'm not sure, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And so just to begin with, keep it really simple. Really simple. You know, like... People think, and we were talking about this the other day, Morgan, you know, like when you were asking about learning flower arrangements and I said just start with two, two different vases, mm -hmm. you know, an open one and a small one and work with those for a month or two. How many flower arrangements can you make with that limited amount, you know, starting? Because people think that you need more mm -hmm. to make better chashis, but actually if you can start with less and do a lot, then as you add things, you're not becoming overwhelmed or, or relying on those things. And it's really easy to get into habitual patterns with chashis. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, okay, like I'm just going to put this here. And like, you, I always use a flower. Mm -hmm. Or I always have a vase and a flower there. I would encourage you, if you've noticed that, to try and not use that item for a couple of weeks. We need chashis like you. We have to constantly be trying to break ourselves out of habitual mind patterns because those are the things that disconnect us from our environment and seeing things deeper around us that we can add. 
Hmm. So, yeah, simplicity, constantly changing, smaller number of initial elements, and make sure everything's drawing attention towards the T. You know, like one thing you can do that's really simple and practical is go around to the other side of the table because the chashi should also always be from the other side of the table. So directed at the guest. Directed at the guest. So sometimes there'll be, you know, like writing and people set it up to them Mm -hmm. or the flowers are kind of positioned to them. And so you need to walk around the other side of the table and see how it looks from the guest perspective because all of this is for the guest. Mm. Um, and so you can go, go around to the other side of the table, sit there for a moment, look, look away from the, from the chashi or close your eyes, do that for like five, 10 seconds, and then turn around and see where your eyes go. Mm. Are your, and the question is always, are my eyes drawn to tea? So whether in your chashi, whether that's a bowl of tea leaves or your teapot or your tea bowls. What's the the element of the chashi that represents tea? And does my eye go there? Mm. Or does it go to the massive bonsai or the big flower arrangement? And if that's the case, that that's drawing away from tea. Mm-hmm. So change that element. Change that element, generally simplify or take away. Yeah. You know, we were discussing this the other day, the difference between ikebana, which is the Japanese flower mm-hmm. arrangement, mm-hmm. and chabana, which is flowers for tea. Mm-hmm. And primarily it's it's that. Ikebana is about the flower and about the arrangement. Chabana is about the tea, even if it's about the flowers somewhere else, mm-hmm. somewhere else in the room. I shouldn't. It shouldn't be distracting. It's almost like that the the small flower that you you don't notice mm-hmm. and you walk past every day, and then one day you notice it and it's so beautiful in its simplicity, mm-hmm. or the way a bit of grass sort of blows in the wind. And I loved, I loved what you shared with me the other day about um, sort of arranging the flower the way that it likes to be in nature, the way that it would be in nature, sort of, and not adding more to it or creating more of a distraction with it. That was really beautiful and um, helpful for me. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why even what I was saying about Chashi and uh, about how as we develop our relationship with the land around us, we develop our ability to create Chashi because... We see how the plants and rocks and water moves around us mm-hmm. and where those bits kind of and how they intersect. And then we can bring and use that for inspiration because um, nature's been doing this a lot longer than <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, I love how you, I love what you said about keeping it simple. And as a photographer, I can see uh, this parallel between a good chashi and a good photograph are similar in a sense that there's no neutral elements in a good photograph it's either helping to draw your attention to the main element of the photograph uh, whatever it is in the frame or it's drawing attention away from it and same uh, in chashi as well whatever you have on the chashi it's either helping your eye go towards the center towards t or it's drawing the attention away so there's no neutral elements Everything we add in the chashi that comes from ourself is drawing away attention, right? It's if I'm taking out my favorite crystal or, you know, my favorite ring or whatever and placing that on the chashi, Mm -hmm. then that becomes uh, a distraction for the tea. Yeah, and it's such a hard one to get your head around, I think, initially, especially because we think 
um, that it's adding, say, elements of what we define as sacredness. Mm. Um, but again, that's one of the things that I love the most about Te is that it's not about our definition of sacredness. You know, I was talking about why I love tea in the last podcast and the ability to share tea. And as soon as we add us and our elements of us to it, we detract from that by whatever degree we're adding. So a lot of people say add other practices to tea. Um, and they'll do like tea and something, you know. And the problem is, is then you're adding whatever the like. Sure, you you could you can say you're adding whatever the benefit of that practice is, um, but you're also adding any of the blocks. Mm-hmm. Tea is the most second most consumed substance on earth. Everyone has an openness to tea. Not everyone has an openness to whatever other practice you're going to add. Mm. Um, and. And also by adding something, we were at least subconsciously saying that tea is not enough. Mm-hmm. Like it needs something extra, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, yeah. Whereas the, the the truth really is that tea is enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a very beautiful sentiment. And you know, and to go back to what you were saying about the parallels between chashi and photography, and I think that there's that's where like tea as art, as we were talking about, it has all the same elements of of art because there is an element of tea that is art. You know, I think there's an element of art in everything. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and it's just the ways in which we find that in the world. As I said, I hadn't really found my outlet for creativity and art until I really found tea. But I think that's available to us anyway. I mean, that's why they call, say, meditation the art of living often. Um because living is an art, mm. photography is an art, cooking's an art, tea's an art, and they all have these same principles. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I think when we add all this other stuff and other practices to tea, we have to understand that that's adding to our chashi in the more like meta, global sense of of our understanding of that word. And then we have to ask ourselves, is this adding to the T or is this taking away? And it's very, very rare that I find that it's really adding and more it's overpowering. And that's just for me and my understanding and for the way that I want to interact with T. And I don't think like it, on an ultimate level matters if you're combining the practice. The tea, tea works with other things, but if you really want to refine chashi, then I would encourage an examination of that. And again, like, I mean, like, I think I'm lucky because I was fortunate enough to live with my teacher and see these things that I probably had resistance and didn't believe initially. Mm-hmm. And to see the evolution of my understanding of that to a place where now I do. Um, speaking of parallels, you've been known to make some pretty epic meals here at the hut. Um, would you say that your extensive background in cooking has allowed you to develop develop the ability to connect and create 
Chashis? Yeah, I think it's interesting. As soon as I, um, well, as soon as you said cooking, then I kind of realized that would probably be the answer to your question before as well. If I did have a an outlet for creativity, it's it's been cooking throughout my whole life. Um, and cooking cooking's funny, like in a lot of ways, um, similar to to tea, is is that it's so mundane and essential to life. It's not like, say, photography or something like that where we like almost put on the hat, like I'm going to pick up my camera and I'm going to go out and shoot. All of us have eaten every day of our life, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So we're so acclimatized to it, and yet it's probably one of, if not the oldest art form around, really. Like it's, it's fundamental to our life and... It gives us life and also can just have so and and cooking's it's such a great parallel to to tea and to to chashi and just to life in general for me i mean you know uh dogan wrote a whole chapter on instructions for the cook it's, it's because it is a deep practice and a hard practice and it, it's so merged with everything that's important about tea and just meditation practice in general. To me, they're, they're all very inseparable. Um, and so, yeah, there's a huge amount of similarities between chashi and photography and cooking, as I said. And it's 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 almost the same element. That Giannis was talking about that there's not neutral elements. There's not really neutral elements in cooking. Um, and cooking as well has that real breadth of, you know, you can have very exquisite sort of, you know, Michelin-starred food that's almost like, like artificial almost. And like, you know, like it's like these sort of balls that, you know, like you bite into and they explode and there's all these different flavors and, there's also incredibly simplistic food and um you know that's kind of like that ikebana chabana kind of parallel as well and i think that's very much the direction in which cooking for food uh cooking for tea and cooking for practice has always sort of gone um is simplistic beauty limiting the elements um learning and this was a really hard lesson for me as well because you know we say it when we say the the five vowels when we cook you know uh that we know that it's an it's an attachment (laughs) and that it uh we don't want food and our desire for food to become a hindrance to our freedom of mind Mm -hmm. um so there's kind of like another like a very like uh base level desire that comes up with cooking where we kind of like want more we want to add all the things that we love. Uh, we want to, you know, and we think that makes for a better meal. Um, and very much our culture's kind of gone down that road. And we have to unlearn it, and I'm still in a process of unlearning it. But in the same way, like the the simple meals that are done with the most heart and the most connection to our environment and the people that we're with and that are just done from a really slow and gentle pace. And 
those meals are always better. I've worked in kitchens since I was 12 and yeah, you, you sense it in someone who's cooking and for me now, like more and more, those are the meals that I, I really find beautiful when we're not over relying on, even say like onions and garlic and things like that, really pungent flavors, you know, they're so easy to cook with. You take those away and then it becomes like, oh, like what am I going to do for flavor? But again, like there's just so much flavor in nature and uh, so many ways to bring out different flavors. And again, like we just kind of get into these mindsets of relying on certain elements in our cooking or in anything. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, I, I, I encourage like same sort of thing, like in terms of what I was saying with Chashi, simplifying elements you know like trying to cook one new meal a week or things like that there's little practices you can do that i think are really great to kind of jog, jog you out of like the the habitual patterns we all get into around food mm -hmm. yeah yeah so again mentioning the simplicity and how that can be um utilized in cooking as well has made me think of uh you know the wabi-sabi aesthetic that's so important in tea um can you is that like an is that something that you draw inspiration from maybe in in cooking as well or is it more does that relate more to just joshi and tea you mean like wabi sabi in terms of can you just as an aesthetic of like not you know like the so the western um aesthetic ideal is more focused on symmetry and and things being perfect uh, whereas like wabi-sabi is, is more closer to nature and appreciates things that are kind of a little bit off, um, you know, maybe rough around the edges or even broken and uh, off-center, um, you know, things like that. Is that something that you draw from as far as inspiration goes also in cooking or um, is that something that you take into account just when you're making chashis? Yeah, I think when you sit down for a a meal, same as when you sit down for tea, you as you as you said, the kind of the benchmark, if we wanted to measure it, would be like, hey, like did it, this just stop me into stillness? And you you get that with good cooking, I think as well. You know, often I think you can also sense because good meal can also have this other element, which is kind of like excitement and things like that but to me those are like uh the more just everyday kind of meals. those aren't the really inspiring meals the ones that you just like kind of like look really abundant and excited like a lot of the bowls that we eat here i would say more fall within that they're not within that sort of more like higher level like tranquility like dropped in because they're all done from like a a recipe book and um a menu and um and also they're like sort of abundant and packed and so that element to me is is what um you know like people experience when they hear they're just like wow like so much food and it's so beautiful and but there's like again like a level like i would say like above that in terms of when we we we're just like sort of dropped into a like a a, a state of tranquility from food and i think that stems out of what you're talking about which is this element of connection from from nature and it's 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 what i said in the beginning which is that non-mind-made 
food or non-mind-made chashi. Mm. Those are the things in which we're really able to drop in. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you've explained like how there's no manual for creating chashis, I've been really blown away by some of the ones you've created here at the center. Can you possibly take us through the process of a couple of the ones that you've created here, perhaps the one you made on Water Day and even the one that's up right now? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an element of maybe each one that I could touch on. Um, so I think on the day everyone was gathering water, Shan just asked me to put a chashi up themed around water. And for me, maybe just like one of the elements that was really interesting about that, just so people kind of have an idea, I used uh, a ladle for scooping water that sort of sits in a basin in the corner of the the tea room and you don't really see or get used basically um maybe guests would do a whole 10-day course and never see it so i had that uh with a vine sort of growing out of it and wrapped around the handle um you know so like initially especially like when you're actually given a theme then your mind kind of starts down habitual patterns so for me i start thinking of other chashis that i've seen that were made with water Mm. And then you kind of like go into like an almost an autopilot mode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there's certain vases downstairs, say, that I would say a link to water. And, uh, you know, we have the koi pond outside. So it's very common to go and grab some of the a lotus flower or s- something out of the pond. And there's, say, like a rock vase that kind of like looks like it's a pond and then <laughs> just a blue runner. And you, they get you kind of have, again, this like the cycle that goes. And then there's also part of me that in that case just knew I'm like just on autopilot. And so actually it was funny. Like it was like I had that thought and then I stood back from the tea table before I'd put anything down and just like took a few breaths and then like turned around and saw the ladle there. Mm. And so that's an element of like what I was talking about before, which is like just being connected with your environment, seeing things that you don't normally see, mm-hmm. things that are just around us everywhere, and then using that for inspiration for something that people aren't used to, to seeing or noticing either. And then through your noticing of that thing and then accentuating it, they notice it. And that's where I see the power of that um, in terms of an art form because you're sharing the mind that's aware Mm. and reverent of the environment mm-hmm. with other people and allowing other people to access the mind through that. Absolutely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was uh, the one we sort of had the storm coming through uh, and you and the other guest asked for, <laughs> you and the guest asked for um, a lesson. And so I was sort of trying to show trying to show my process again in that situation and so we had that storm going around us and the wind was coming in and the rain and so I sort of started to describe again the process that you would normally go through of trying to connect like outside elements with inside and how you could either be say contrasting those so you know like really windy and stormy outside so then you could create a chashi that felt like safe and protected Mm. maybe something around like shelter or um also the emulation of outside sort of wind blowing. Um, 
And then I, I was kind of preambling because I'd done a very similar thing, which was seeing a piece of teaware somewhere and it was a cracked and broken cup that had been put back together with a butterfly sort of on it. Back to that wabi-sabi element. Yeah, and also that, and then also like, I, I think that was for me going a little bit in a different, because those things that I mentioned are sort of the conventional ways in which you operate with a chashi. So if it's hot outside, you make a cool chashi. If it's cold outside, you make a hot or a warming chashi. You know, those those quite simple contrasting or emulation elements. But you can obviously go deeper on theme as well. And for me, when I saw like a broken a broken cup that had been put back together and a butterfly, which is very like fragile, mm. um, the bringing of those kind of, for me, it was about that theme of even though there's sort of like this storm raging around us and we're sort of these these fragile little little things. And for me, I just felt like... Uh, there was there was a lot of elements in there that I felt connected, you know, like uh, the butterfly's wings and the storm, and uh, you know, like that small sort of insect finding like a space to to be safe and in, in in the heart and in the tea space itself, and yeah, for me that was really about fragility, and so yeah, I mean, again, that's like a little bit deeper and then you know aesthetically that was using like shadow and um and color and so a little bit harder process to kind of describe but just again for me it's always that the thing that makes a great chashi is always that element that knocks us out of the pattern that we want to run and so generally that's why you know like the best practice is to just sit before doing a chashi and it's not to sit in terms of sitting and trying to think of something. It's the process of sitting and trying to let go of something, mm. whatever the thought pattern is that you're running that you think is going to work and going to be a great chashi because the best ones don't come from that place. Uh, the best ones come from, from stillness. Mm. And so taking that time before we do a chashi to connect, really connect with that place of stillness. Same thing as when we still still our heart before we pick up the kettle because we're about to undertake our art form and we know that the art form doesn't come from us. It comes from something higher mm. and we're lucky here because we have a guide to take us to something higher. You know, mm. T's a great mother figure who takes our hand and can show us that pathway and um, we're not such a good guide. Mm-hmm. So it's always the process of, of letting go of ourself and our ideas. And once we do that... Mm-hmm. You could even say uh, clearing the, the channel, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's sort of what the experience is, is. And it's hard because, you know, like if you, you feel when it's blocked or you become attuned to when it's blocked and sometimes you can't, you don't have the the skill or the capacity to unblock it, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're the most frustrating times is when you know oh, something's wrong, like I'm not getting it. Mm-hmm. And always in that case, the best thing to do is completely clear the the table and start over. Start over if you've got enough time. Have a cup of tea. Go sit outside five ten minutes. Often that's that sort of 
you know, how I'll, I'll unblock that. Or just go for a walk, mm-hmm. look for some inspiration, look with different eyes, try and look in places you wouldn't normally look, on the ground, in the corners, you know, in the trees. Just try and see things in a different way mm. and then come back in mm-hmm. with a different mind. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you for discussing and, and uh, sharing some of your wisdom, some of your lessons you've learned along the way. Yeah. I don't know if I'd call that much about wisdom, but anything helps. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Morgan, again, for being a lot of the co-host of this <laughs> podcast. Thank you, listeners. I hope to see you in the next episode of Life of Tea. If you've enjoyed this episode, then help us reach more people by sharing this episode with friends and family. Your likes, comments, and shares will go a long way and are deeply appreciated. Another direct way to support this project and the free tea center here in Miali, Taiwan that you can come and visit is to sign up for our monthly ad-free magazine that covers all aspects of tea, from brewing and processing techniques to history, lore, spirituality, and also the community aspect of tea as well. It comes with a beautiful, sustainably produced tea every month, and to subscribe for it, go to globalteahut.org. If you're looking for more information on some linear topics, like how to brew tea better, then perhaps go and check out our YouTube channel, also called Global Tea Hut. Until next time, heat up some water, get out the bowl, and drink some beautiful tea.